had a good crowd today. We're thankful for everybody staying. A lot of visitors, so that's a good thing. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, we'll pick up in verse 17. I've got one of these Apologetics Press Bibles, and at the beginning of chapter 5, the uh, headline, I guess you will, that they've chose to put in it is treatment of church members. And I suppose that would be true. He begins by talking about how we treat each other when there's any kind of problem or issue, and we don't rebuke uh, older people harshly. We treat them with respect. We also don't do that to, to younger people. He's dealt with widows and all sorts of circumstances that surrounds that and how we're to treat them and to care for them. And, and we talked about that last week. Here in verse 17, we're going to talk about how we're to treat elders. Now this get me in trouble today, right? No. Elders are members of the church just like the rest of us are. They have a specific role. They are the leaders here. They have the oversight here. But yet it is still our responsibility to hold them accountable. They hold us accountable, we hold them accountable, and in essence, every one of us work together to hold each other accountable. So we're going to deal with this morning, or Paul's going to tell Timothy some things about elders, some things that, that hopefully some of these things we'll talk about we never have to face. But there's some hard things sometimes that people have to do and we're getting into the first, verse 17 is an easy thing. Verse 19 and 20 gets to be a little more difficult. But let's talk about uh, what's going on. He says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and the doctrine. Let the elders who rule well. First and foremost, it's always a plurality. Elders is the word that's used a lot of times when it comes to being an age of a person, but here it's going to be specifically talking about the office of an elder. He says, let the elders who rule well. What does it mean uh, to rule well and, and do elders uh, rule? Before I get to that, I got some verses on my phone on to read. Mike Dyer sent me a text and says he'll be out of quarantine Tuesday, so his class will be Wednesday. So uh, I'm glad I remembered that. I'd get in trouble with Mike. But uh, remember, his class will pick back up Wednesday, barring something bad happening. As far as elders ruling, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, the Bible says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you, over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace amongst yourselves. He says, esteem those that are over you that have the rule. Again, we're talking about elders that rule well. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember those who, again, rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you. Again, the same thing. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, the Bible talks about elders are, verse 2, our overseers. They're the people that, that oversee us to watch and care for our souls. So it is very plain that elders have the rule. 
Elders have the authority in the local congregation. That's as far as their authority extends, is amongst the local congregation. But what makes someone rule well? I think that's a fair question. If we're supposed to look at these people, then we have to decide ultimately if they're ruling well. Because it says an elder that rules well is worthy of double honor. Someone has to make that distinction. An elder can't stand up here in the, at the podium and say, hey guys, I rule well, so you, you honor me. It doesn't work that way. Again, this is something that the whole church is figuring out how to treat each other. So we've got to decide if they rule well or not, or anybody that's in a leadership position, if they rule well. In Romans chapter 12, verse 8, the Bible says God endows some people with the ability to lead. And he says if you have been given the, the ability to lead, he says you need to do it with diligence. You need to work at it. You need to be active and energetic, and it needs to be very important to you if you're going to lead at anything, but especially when it comes to the eldership. And we're going to see as we go along through here, but what makes a good leader? I thought about this as far as in the secular world. It will begin there because sometimes or probably all the time, we can all relate to that. I've never been an elder, probably never will be. So I can't relate to being an elder, but in the secular world, I can relate to, to leading people and trying to help people. What about when it comes to, to maybe your business? How do you become a, a good leader when it comes to that? Well, I wrote down a few things. Number one thing that I've learned is you be good to people. If you want people to follow you, if you want to have employees or whatever it is that will do whatever you ask them to do, number one thing is you be good to them. I think that would apply within the church too, right? You be good to them, you respect them, you listen to them, you don't ever be demeaning to them. It doesn't matter if you think you're better than them, whatever it is, when it comes to the workplace, if you want good people to follow you, will you do those things? A guy told me several years ago, and I may have told you this, I was actually working for him doing some farm work. And he said, I've always decided that I will never ask someone to do something for me that I wouldn't do myself. And I've learned that as far as having people work for me, don't ever ask them to do something I'm not willing to do myself. I wouldn't go ask one of my guys to cut a tree that I was terrified to cut. I wouldn't do that. Because if I'm not willing to do it, I'm not going to ask them to, to follow me or to do it for me. So again, I think a leadership quality would be there. I think if you want to be a good leader, if you want people to follow you, you've got to let them see you work hard. You know, if you are a lazy individual and you've got people that work for you, you think they want to, they're not following an example. If you're lazy and you're not willing to do anything, that's in the secular world. We can bring that over into uh, church leadership as well. And I always think that we need to, especially in the secular I don't say that people work for me. I always say people work with me, and I treat them as such. You work with me. You don't work for me. I'm not a lord over you. An elder can't be a lord over a congregation. We are fellow workers together. And if people are treated as such, it's easier. It's easier to get along. It's easier to do things uh, together. But let's look at some biblical leaders, and let's learn some things uh, that, that good leadership does. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 12. Don was in 1 Kings chapter 12, but we're just going to back up a little bit more and we're going to learn some things about leaders uh, that, that could have been better. That could have been better and we can learn some valuable lessons uh, for us today. 
In 1 Kings chapter 12, well, let's go back up prior to that. We're going to read from verse chapter 12. But you've got Solomon has been king, and Solomon's life is drawing nigh, and Solomon has allowed his foreign wives to, to pull his heart away from God. There's idolatrous worship throughout Israel, and all of these problems are going on. We've got a man named Jeroboam. And Jeroboam is, is upset with Solomon because of some of the things that he's done. Long story short, Ahijah comes to Jeroboam and tells him, and he comes and he tells him he rips a cloth into 12 pieces, and he says God's going to rip the kingdom away from, from Solomon, from his descendants, and he's going to give 10 of them to you, and he's going to give two of them to the other king. So Jeroboam finds out all of that. Solomon figures all that out. He he's, hates Jeroboam. He's going to uh, try to destroy him, to try to kill him. So Jeroboam has to leave, and he flees from the presence. But when you get to chapter 12, you've got Rehoboam, which is Solomon's son. And Rehoboam is going to be a leader. And I think we learn a valuable lesson about leadership. It says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it. He was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sinned and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, and they said, Your father made our yoke heavy. Think about that just for a second. Your father was a hard man. He tried to make our lives difficult. He put more on us at times than we can bear. So the people are pleading with the new leader that's going to be put into power. They ask him, they say, Therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which he has put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days and come back to me. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he lived, and he said, How do you advise me to answer these people? Now, Rehoboam goes to his father's advisor. And you would think if his father was very burdensome and, and was very heavy to the people, you would think his advisors had advised him uh, as much. So you would think they would advise him in the same way. But I want you to notice what they say. Verse 7. It says, And they spoke to him, and they said, If you will be a servant to these people today, and serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But you notice this advice. Notice the advice. He says, if you will be a servant to the people. If you are someone that, that is a people person, if we're looking for an elder that rules well, it's an elder that's a servant to the people. He's not trying to be served himself, but he puts himself out there because he cares and loves for the people. And he wants to help the people. Jesus was one that came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. If we're going to imitate Jesus, if we're going to be a good leader, we've got to be a servant. So he says, you serve them, you answer them, you speak good words to them, you be a person that communicates with the people. I've learned in the business world and in every aspect of life, a lack of communication can cause a lot of problems, can it? It can cause a intermarriage. If you don't communicate with your spouse, what happens? You're in a lot of trouble, right? A lot of trouble. The same is true in, in, in any kind of leadership position. The same is true in the church. It takes communication. So the advice was you be a servant to the people. 
you be a person that communicates with the people. And number three, he says, you gotta, he's going to go on to tell them that you've got to lighten their yoke. You've got to lighten their yoke. You've got to try to make life easier for the people. You want to, in the workplace, if you've got good employees, you don't want to make things harder on them. You want to try to make things easier on them. Therefore, they'll be able to work more for you, do more for you, and you can be more productive. The same is true in the church. Rehoboam was advised, be a servant to the people. Communicate with the people. Talk to the people. Make the uh, burdens easier on the people. And if you will do that, man, they'll follow you. They'll follow you. And you know the rest of the story. Rehoboam thought, okay, I'll go ask my friends. People my age, what did they say? You make your little finger thicker than the waist of your father. You put more burdens on the people. You make it heavier. Well, which one did he listen to? The younger ones, right? What happened? Kingdom divided. People revolted. Sin ensued and, and all these horrible things that happened after that. Do you realize because Rehoboam would not heed this advice, there was never, there was never a faithful king in the northern kingdom? Do you realize because Rehoboam failed to be a good leader and listen to good sound advice, those two golden calves were set up that Don talked about this morning and all of those things happened because he failed to be a good leader. You see, it's our responsibility as Christians to always hold each other to a standard because we don't want those types of things happening. We don't want any kind of issues and problems and, and all of these things that happen to these kingdoms. We don't want division and, and all of that. So it's so important that, that a good leader rules well. You know, I had an elder tell me several years ago, and it's always stuck with me, and this is not a good thing. But he told me several years ago, he says, we're going to plan this event for the men, and we're going to plan it on the opening morning of gun season. And he says, we're going to do that to see who's going to be faithful to come to it. And I thought, are you serious? I didn't tell him that. Are you serious? Are you, are you going to take people, maybe a group of men that, that have, you know, looked forward all year to go hunting on opening morning, you're going to plan something just to see whether or not they're going to show up or not. Sounds a lot like Rehoboam, doesn't it? You make the burden on the people too hard. And it didn't work. And the same is true today. If we're going to be a people that rule well, I don't care if you're an elder, if you're whatever you are, if you're a deacon here, whatever position you may have and Willow meals, whatever. If you try to make things harder on people, people will never follow you. They'll never follow you. You always try to put people in a position to maybe not have to make a hard call. To put them in a position where they don't have to, to maybe choose whether or not to, to maybe be faithful to God or to some other obligation that they have. You want to try to make people's burden easy. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11? He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's what he said in verse 28. Verse 30, he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus was a good leader, and he didn't want to put more on people than they could stand. So we learn a valuable lesson on leadership. John chapter 10, the Bible talks about the fact that Jesus cares for his sheep. He cares for his sheep. I think that's important. I think if, if we're going to be a good leader, if an eldership is going to rule well, their primary obligation is going to be 
to the people here at Willow Avenue, wherever they may be a, a leader at. Again, I had an elder tell me several years ago, and he was asking me my advice on some things, or my opinion at least, and they're going to spend a lot of money in a certain area, and I said, well, I said, before you do that, you better be careful to take care of home first. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're an elder for this particular congregation. They've got to come first to you. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I said, what do you mean you don't agree with that? I said, you're an elder to this congregation. And your responsibility is not to everybody else under the sun. It's primarily right here. And then after that, you follow suit with other people. And he just couldn't agree with me. But I want you to notice Jesus cares for his sheep. Jesus' primary responsibility as being a leader of God's people are God's people. John talked about in the sensitive lesson, the woman had come to Jesus and she was a Gentile and and Jesus told her, he said, I've been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said, that's my primary focus, and it's not to other people at this point in time, but his focus was on his. And a good leader, their focus is going to be on here. I've had some of these elders here tell me that Willow Avenue comes first. I like hearing that. That's what I want to hear. If you're going to be an elder at Willow Avenue, Willow Avenue's got to come first. We've got plenty enough problems to try to figure out. That keeps us busy, right? I'm sure these six guys will tell you that keeps them busy. So if we're going to rule well, if we're going to look for someone ruling well, it's got to take care of his own. In Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah had come back, and he had come back and he had saw the city in ruins. He saw the wall torn down, and the Bible said he mourned. But you see, Nehemiah was a leader. Nehemiah was a leader, and one of the traits that he possessed that, that we need to look for today in leaders is he was a person who motivated people. He motivated people. You realize that, that when Nehemiah got done talking to everybody and he gathered them all up and he put them all to work, the Bible says they had a mind to work. And what did they do? They accomplished everything they set forth to accomplish because Nehemiah was a motivator. If we're going to be a good leader today in whatever aspect that it is, you've got to be a person that motivates. you got to be a person that is willing to delegate. In the Bible, in Exodus chapter 18, Moses had taken on too much responsibility and, and it was wearing him out and, and his father-in-law Jethro comes to him and what does he tell him? He says, Moses, you take on too much. You take on too much. You're trying to do all of these things and he says, here's what you got to do. you got to put trusted people in, in positions to help you with this. And that's again, goes along with motivating people. You're willing to delegate and you motivate other people to get involved and to do. And that's what makes a good leader. One more thing, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, you've got a shepherd that loses a sheep. What does he do? He goes and gets the sheep. If you want to be a good leader, you've got to care for your sheep. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 28, talking about he being the shepherd, he says, nobody, nobody will take the sheep out of my hands. Nobody can snatch them out of my hands. I'm going to fight for them. If you want to be a good leader, good leadership is always going to fight for their people. They're going to stand up for their people. They're going to stand with their people. I've known several preachers through the years, and, and they'll tell me, my elders won't stand with me. And I, that's sad. You realize that? They said, I'll stand up and I'll preach this, but my elders won't stand with me. I've never had that problem here. And I hope we never have that problem here. 
But you see, this is something as Christians that we've got to be on guard for. We've got to be on guard for because, brethren, those things are real possibilities. Why is Paul telling Timothy all these things? Elders that rule well. We've got to be the people that decide whether or not they rule well. And, you know, everybody's got a different opinion, but we can see some of these things biblically that good leaders do, and we can compare as such with the leaders that we have. And we hope we see all of those qualifications uh, there. Elders that rule well are counted worthy. Counted worthy would simply mean deserving. They're counted worthy of double honor. You know, it's weird to me is, is a study for all of this, and you read all these different commentaries, you've got a lot of people that struggle with what this double honor means. But if we take the context of what he's talking about, it's not very difficult at all. In fact, last week we talked about the fact that we're to honor widows that are widows indeed. And we talked about the fact that, that part of that had to do with we respect them, we don't treat them in a degrading way. But another part of that was to truly honor that person that was really a widow she could be taken under the uh, financial uh, support of a congregation. And the same is true here. It's the same word as you. You honor elders that rule well. And they're worthy of double honor. They're worthy of, of our respect, our adoration. We lift them up. We, we hold their hands up. All of those different things. But they're also worthy of financial support. He says, especially those that labor in word or in doctrine. You take an elder that maybe he spends all of his time in trying to teach and instruct and just help people. If he has to work to make his living, what happens? Well, those time and ability he has to do all of those things, that's going to be lessened. But maybe you've got a man that has all of those talents and maybe he wants to devote himself to those talents. Would it be okay for the church to financially support him and allow him to do that on a full-time basis absolutely absolutely it is in fact it would make him able to do so many more things and we don't have to do that here but i'm sure in a lot of places uh, that happens and that is very helpful for a lot of people that word labor that is used there it's a word that means to labor to exhaustion he says a good leader is someone that is working at it all the time and he's willing and he's able. He goes on to explain why it's okay uh, to pay a preacher. He says, you don't muzzle the mouth of the ox while it treads out the corn, do you? And that's from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. He says, if you're going to take an animal and you're going to expect him to work in the crops, he says, allow him to, to eat and enjoy the fruits of his labor. Same is true with an elder. He says, that's okay. What about... The labor is worthy of his wages. Jesus said that in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, when he sent the, the people out on the limited commission, he says, don't take anything with you. Don't take anything with you. And as you go along, he says, people are going to provide for you. He says, people are going to care for you. They're going to give you things. They're going to feed you, all that. Why? Because the labor is worthy of his wages. If a man's going to, to live his life in working for the gospel, then the gospel should support that man. Paul talks about that when it comes to a preacher. If a preacher wants to be a full-time preacher, that is a good thing. And that's a thing that is very biblical that he can be paid. But again, there's qualifications that have to be met in order for a person to be financially supported by the church. And when it comes to elderships, if an elder wants to be paid, 
Well, he's got to rule well. He's got to be a person that has respect of the people and all of those things. If a widow wanted to be supported, she had to meet those qualifications that were laid forth in 1 Timothy chapter 5. God always has stipulations on everything. And it's our job as members to hold each other to that standard, right? If I get to where you can tell I'm not studying at all for my Bible classes, and if I get up to preach tonight and I just totally flop, and you can tell I didn't even put any thought into it, should you hold me accountable? Yeah, you should give me the boot, right? Or at least give me a good talking to and try to straighten me out. But you see, God expects his people, if they're going to get things from him, and again, especially financial support, he expects them to do the things that he would have them to do. He goes on to talk about that an elder, he says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Timothy is there in Ephesus, right? And Paul had already talked to those Ephesian elders, and he'd already said in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 29, that there were going to be people rise up from amongst that eldership, and they were going to do what? They were going to turn people, right? They were going to be elders that were going to rise up, and they were going to do things that were contrary. There's the second bell, and I'm just getting started. We'll just pick this up next week. I appreciate your attention.